invite you to take your scriptures and turn to Daniel 4, we read earlier. In the last number of weeks, we've talked about a tale of two cities. In Daniel 1, we said it's not just about what city you live in, but what city you live for. As we discussed Daniel 2, we talked about a tale of two wisdoms, not what, just what li- wisdom you learn, but which wisdom you choose to live. And then last week, we talked about a tale of two gods, not just false gods and the true God, but worshiping the right God in the right way. And this morning, we're going to talk to Daniel 4. We're going to talk about a tale of two kings. And I want to impress on you, it's not just about who rules the world, but who rules your world. And we want to talk about that today. You can't read Daniel 4 and not come to the conclusion that this is a conflict of kings. The word king used to describe Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned seven times in this chapter. The word king used to describe God is only mentioned once, but it is the only time in the entire Bible that it is used, this phrase. And it's in verse 37 when God himself is called the king of heaven. And this is a conflict between the king who is in heaven, God, and then Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of the earth. And the question is, who rules? Who really rules? rules? Because by all appearances, especially if you were in exile reading the book of Daniel as an Israelite, you would think by just looking around that really Nebuchadnezzar has all the power. He's the one who is in charge. And it looks like he rules the world. But three times in this chapter, once in verse 17, Another in verse 25, and again in verse 32. Here is what Daniel 4 keeps saying over and over to us to drill it into our minds and hearts. It says this, the most high rules. Daniel wants us to know that in the circumstances in which you and I live, we bring to the table this morning as we come to church, the things that we're dealing with every single day, by all appearances, as we look around, sometimes it looks like anyone or anything other than the God of the Bible rules and reigns. But Daniel 4 is replete with this phrase, the most high rules. Daniel in this chapter, wants to ask all of us this question and have us answer it. And that is this, who is in charge? Who is in control? Yes, who is in control of the world? Who is in control of Babylon, or our case, 21st century, who is really in control of America? Who sits on the throne? Who is sovereign? Is it the president? Is it some king or ruler? Or is it God? But let's, can we? Narrow it down from the large funnel to these national and international questions. Can we move down the funnel to your life and mine and then ask the question, who's really in charge of you? Who's really in control of your life and everything in it? As we move through these chapters, we've also, whether you realize it or not, have discussed some things about our culture We have looked at our culture's greatest goal in chapter 1, and that is to change your identity. And we said, you know what, if you're going to live for God in Babylon, if you're going to live pro-God in an anti-God world, you're going to have to know who you are in God and live that out. Our culture's greatest test, we saw, was who will we worship? Who will we bow down to? Will we live for God no matter what? 
or will we bow down to the gods of this world? Now today, in our text, I want to get to the culture in which we live, its greatest sin. I want to tell you what's at the root of almost everything that's going wrong in America and even larger in our world, and that is pride. Pride is basically trying to live independent of God's authority. I think if you read scripture, you'll come to the same conclusion that I have is that pride is like cancer. It shows up just about everywhere and just about everyone, and there seems to be absolutely no cure for it. Pride, more so, is a spiritual cancer. And if you don't believe me, I could tell you stories about how it destroys people's lives. It destroys marriages. It destroys relationships between parents and children, other people in churches. And Nebuchadnezzar, by his own hand, which Daniel must have recorded, is going to tell us the testimony about how it virtually destroyed his entire life and the empire and kingdom that he built. So I want to look at just three things briefly in the time we have this morning about pride. The first is this, the cause of pride. Interesting, if you look at Daniel 4 as a whole, it has a framework. It begins with a doxology about who is the great most high God, and that's how the chapter ends. These two frames, or these two bookends, pretty much tell us that there was a time when Nebuchadnezzar came to the realization where he finally acknowledges that God is really the sovereign of all things. But here's the thing. He wasn't always at that point. He did not always have that understanding And in between the two doxologies about Nebuchadnezzar from his own mouth extolling how great God is, he's going to tell you about his testimony about how it wasn't always that way. About a time in his life where, honestly, he thought he was the Most High. And he's going to tell us this morning through personal testimony about how he thought he was Most High, but God had to bring him down to being Most Low in order to learn the lesson that there's only one king, and it's God. We don't have time this morning and this time together, but if you read the beginning parts, the first 28 verses of the chapter, you're going to find out that Nebuchadnezzar, although he's the most powerful man at the world at the time, he is going to have a dream. And he is going to dream about this tree, and this tree grows to be huge and magnificent in size. I mean, you can see it from anywhere in the world. It says all the peoples and animals and everything come under the shadow of this tree and they're all nourished and fed by it. He's going to have a dream and then all of a sudden and all the greatness and power of this tree is cut down. All the branches is cut down. The tree is cut down and all that's left of this magnificent tree is this stump with nothing on it. And then how that stump is virtually and eventually restored He calls all the magicians and the wise men and all the enchanters to come in and tell him what is the interpretation of this dream because it's terrifying to him because I think he has an idea of what it's about. No one, again, as we've heard in other chapters, can tell the king the interpretation. So he gets the chief, the head of all the magicians, and that is none other than Daniel the messenger of God. He has Daniel come in and he extols him and says, I know that in you is the spirit of the gods. Please tell me the interpretation. And Daniel does. He tells him, O king, you are this tree. And under the authority and the power and the kingdom that God has given you, listen, all of the nations and tribes and peoples, they come and you have ruled them all. He says, but there's coming a day. And he says this in warning. 
There's coming a day that God is going to send his angel and this magnificent tree and all the world that you have become is going to be cut down to the very stub, to the very ground of it. And at the end of the passage, he says in verse 27, Therefore, O king, Daniel says, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Here's what you need to do. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Why? That they may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. If you don't want to lose everything you've ever lived for, you better humble yourself. What's the cause of pride? Twelve months pass. The warning has been issued by God through Daniel and the dream. Nebuchadnezzar has heard what will happen to him. And then it says in verse 28, all of this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, listen to what he says, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. See, can I tell you, that is the cause of pride. Between Most people don't realize between Daniel 3 and Daniel 4, 20 years have taken place. 20 years. And I say that to you because in those 20 years, Nebuchadnezzar has reached the height of his power. I have seen diagrams of the reconstructed Babylon that what was like in his day, he would have been in a massive palace that would have been far bigger than our entire complex and even the grounds of Faith Baptist Church. It was so large. He's up on a flat roof because that's how they did it in the ancient Near East. He's walking on the flat roof of his palace, looking over the entirety of Babylon. If he turns down the, the universal walkway, so to speak, down, he can see on the left a ziggurat which has cascading levels all the way from the ground, seven levels up. And his day, it was huge, 288 feet tall. That's almost 30 stories. I mean, this is a massive building that he has erected. Around that and all throughout the city are 52 temples to all the false gods that he has erected. He has built all of this. One of the seven wonders of the world at the time was the hanging gardens that he made and gave to his wife. It was the suspended gardens all in the air, and it was one of the most beautiful things that anyone has ever made. Around the entire city, which is almost half the size of what New York City would be today, which is huge in those days. He had a wall that you could drive two chariots side by side, and then there was a wall inside of that wall, and eight massive gates that were each gate being almost as big as the entire auditorium inside here. All around, it was impregnable, impregnable fortress. He had built all of this. And as he looks around and sees all of this, you know what his conclusion is? I am great. I'm great. And I deserve all of this. Because look what I've accomplished. See, that's what pride says. Pride says this, I did it and I deserve it. That's what pride says. It's this kind of oddness. Because of my talents, because of my intellect, because of my abilities, because of my beauty, because of how smart I am and how much better I am than most everybody else, I really deserve this. And look how great it is. I did it and I deserve it. In contrast, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7 says, 
from God, what do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Simply put, here's what God's saying. Pride makes you the author and doesn't look at life and everything in it as a gift. One person I was reading this week said, pride makes every one of us a cosmic, guilty of cosmic plagiarism. In other words, someone else wrote the book and you're taking credit for it. You are not the author of anything. And like everything in life, it's a gift. Pride says, I'm really the author. I deserve it all. I'm owed all of these things. On the flip side of it, humility would say, just to give you the contrast, humility sees life as a gift and everything in it is something I receive. I don't say this. I don't say I deserve it. I say I don't deserve it. I say that everything I have in my life is a gift from the mercy and grace of God. That I'm really not the author. I'm a receiver. In other words, we might put it simply in this way. The cause of pride is the desire to be in control. To think I'm the one in charge. Pride thinks that I'm the author. I have the final say. And I'm really in charge of everything in my life. Now let me tell you how that works in our culture, if you're American. See, the vast majority in our land today believe in abortion. And I would say to you, abortion is caused by pride. You say, how so, Pastor Walker? Because here's what pride says when it comes to abortion. I will have the final say of what is done with my body. Not God. God does not tell me what I will and won't do with my body. So if I want to murder an innocent child before it's ever born, I'll do it. And you can't legislate against it. Why? Because I'm in charge. Transgenderism in our culture is rising all the time. Transgenderism finds its source in pride. Pride that says this, I will be the one who decides whether I call myself a male or a female. I know that God in the Bible says that he made them male and female and he designed it, but he doesn't have the last say. I do. Homosexuality is caused by pride. How so? I'll be the one who defines my sexuality and what marriage really is, not God. Racism. Everyone who is who is guilty of racism, is also guilty of pride. Why? Because racism says this, I will be the one who decides how people should be treated and on what basis they will be treated that way. Not God. So every time, every time, you and I act as if we are the author instead of the receiver, we are saying this, I'm really in control. See, those of us who have sports achievements and accomplishments, and you believe for a minute that it's all because of you and your great talent, see, you're still in control. All the degrees behind your name and the educational accomplishments that you might have attained, see, the moment you think that it's really because of you and how great you are, see, you are still in control. The financial earnings and the house you live in, the neighborhood you have, and the car that you drive, and the position you have, and the title on your door, the moment you think that all those things have not come by the mercy of God, you are still in control. And God says to Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to tell you a year in advance. I'm going to give you a dream. And I'm going to shoot an arrow across your arrogant bow to tell you this message. Ready? You are not in control. Have you ever really stopped to think for a moment how little you have control of almost everything in your life? 
Did you know you didn't choose your race? You didn't choose your gender. You didn't choose the century that you were born in. I read a story about the bubonic plague hundreds of years ago and bowed my head and said, thank you, God, I wasn't born then. You didn't choose your family. You didn't choose your height. You didn't choose your hair color. Well, most of you didn't. I didn't even choose whether I'm going to have hair or not, and you can obviously say I'm losing that one. You didn't choose your eye color. You didn't choose your talents, your degrees, your abilities. You didn't choose those things. But Pastor Walker, I've worked really hard, I know, with the mind that God gave you. You know, I've really gone up the ladder and progressed, and I've advanced at my job. Yeah, with the connections that someone else established for you. Well, I've really excelled. You know, I've got a degree and I've got a scholarship and I'm so good at this sport and everything. I know, with the abilities that God lent you. See, God brought us here today. Can I say it so sharply? God brought you here today. And you know what the warning is for you? The warning is this. You're not in control. You're not in control. Don't live your life and don't act like you can live your life independent from me, God wants you to know. The cause... The cause of pride, it's this desire, this insatiable want to live independently from God and think that all the things that we have and enjoy are by our own self. But secondly, the consequences of pride. And this is startling. Can I read it for you, verse 31? Please look at these words carefully. While the words were still in the king's mouth. While they were still in his mouth, he was saying how great Babylon was and how great he was. I did it. I deserve it. This is by me and this is for me, he says. His whole world was involved. And is he saying, he's not even done saying the words. Second Chronicles 26, 19, it says that Uzziah the king was in the temple offering incense on the altar, which only priests could do. The priests come out and they warn him. They said, get out of the temple. It's not for you, Uzziah, to offer incense. He wouldn't listen. And the Bible says instead of listening to the warning, he became angry. Maybe like some of you are doing this morning. He's angry, and the Bible says he wouldn't get out. And then it says this, and while he was still angry, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And he was a leper till the day he died. He couldn't even live in the palace. And while he was still fuming over God's authority, the leprosy broke out on his head. Peter was told by Jesus on the night before he was crucified, he says, let me warn you, Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And in Luke twenty-two sixty, here's what it says of Peter. And while he was still speaking, while the words of denying Jesus, I don't know the man, while the words were coming out of his mouth, it says he listened and the cock crew while he was still speaking. See, Nebuchadnezzar, the words were still coming out of his mouth. He had been warned by the messenger of God, but he wouldn't listen. You know why? Hear me. Pride is deafening. Pride, if you believe all the reports about yourself, you will stop believing the reports about you from God. Pride is deafening. 
And by the time Nebuchadnezzar got around to listening to God, 12 months later, it was too late. Honestly, if you can be with yourself, we don't listen to warnings very well. It can come up on my dashboard. The light can say, you need to have this checked. And I think it's this. Oh, it's just a light on the dash. I don't need to have it checked out. I'll check that out later. And later cost me hundreds and thousands of dollars. Why? Because I didn't really think that the warning was that serious. People continue to buy cigarette packs, and it's on broad, it's black and white print that if you smoke cigarettes, it would cause you cancer. And I've seen people with a thing in their throat. I visit in the hospital, and they're dying, and they can't change. And the reason was, you know why? Because we read the labels, we, lead, we read the warnings, and we don't pay attention. We don't heed them. Don't drink and drive. Yet people by the hundreds die every year because people do not listen to the warnings. You've been told by your parents, people grow up, don't date lost people. Don't date people that don't believe in God like you do. They're not believers. Don't get involved in a relationship with them. And yet people think they can handle it and they deceive themselves. And fool- I'm not going to let it go any further than this until they're married to them and then their, their children don't want to go to church and they don't believe and it splits their marriage. They were warned, but they didn't want to believe it. Don't be alone by yourself and be on the internet. That's a rule at our house. Don't be alone by yourself on the internet. Why? Here's why. Because you can't handle it. But people ignore the warnings all the time. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar became an animal. You read it in the text for yourself. He was like an ox. And for seven times, seven periods, whatever that means, whether it was seven months, seven seasons, which turned out to be about a year and a half, I don't know how long it was, but long enough for people to realize that this guy who thought he was all of this up here heard the warning of God, ignored it, and he went from up here to down here, I mean real quick, I mean in a day, while the words were still in his mouth. And let me ask, add this. You know that's how sovereign God is? He controls every moment. He can even bring humility in your life while you're talking about how much you don't need it. And how you're thinking in the sermon this morning, while I hope other people are listening to it, and maybe even thinking by name who they are, where all along he says, no, I'm talking to you today. That's who I'm talking to. See, the man who was a tree so big that all the animals took shelter under it, see, he becomes an animal. And the Bible says, for seven periods of time, he lost everything. Can I tell you this? Even though he heard the warning, I don't think he saw it coming. I don't think he really thought that that would ever happen to him. Did you ever think that? I know, Pastor Walker, I could really work on this, and God knows we could all use a little humility. And you go home leaving here thinking it's not that big a deal. And God says, oh my, it's so much of a big deal that you don't even recognize it. Proverbs in its wisdom says pride goes before destruction. Destruction sounds like a big deal to me. And a haughty spirit before, before, before a fall. Proverbs 11:2. when pride comes, listen to this, then comes disgrace. I mean, how disgraceful is it? You're the most powerful human being in the world, and now you are like an animal and someone has to take care of you and your fingernails grow and your hair grows out and you don't even know who you are anymore disgraced 
Proverbs 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low. Oh, see, the moment you and I think that we are most high, God says, let me show you, you will become most low. But why, Pastor Walker? Why would he do that? Well, verse 32 tells us, until you know, until you know, hear me, until you know, not till you hear it, not till you read it, until you know it. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever he will. Nebuchadnezzar, I didn't give it to you because you're better. I gave it to you because I chose to. You're not superior. You're not better than anyone else. And let me show you how real and true that is. Until you learn, Nebuchadnezzar, that you are a king, but there's a far greater king than you, and it's the Most High God. Until you learn that you're not in charge, that you're not in control. See, what does God have to say to you this morning? He's brought you here until you learn. What is he trying to teach you about humility? The Bible says that he didn't show mercy to the oppressed. He said, break off your sins, get rid of the unrighteousness, and start showing kindness to people. You know why? Because that's what happens When you get full of pride, your world revolves around you and there isn't room for anybody else. That's why he was an animal. I have an animal at home. It's a cat. And I'll have to say very arrogantly that the cat loves me best. My wife is the cat person, but this cat loves me and sits on my lap and does all these things. And I thought, you know, well, how great must I be because this cat loves me and doesn't love anybody else. Until I came to realize the cat really doesn't love me. It just wants me to scratch it. And then it comes rubbing up my leg. Not because it likes me. It wants food. Why? Because here's what animals do. Animals don't say, hey, you are the best thing. I mean, look at her and then look at you. Okay, that's not how cats work, right? Why? Because they're animals. The only thought an animal has is for itself. That's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. See, he became an animal. And when he did, he forgot about people. Can I tell you real briefly? You know what the acid test is of whether you think you're in control or not, whether you're full of pride or not? Can I tell you in the text? It says this. He wouldn't be, he didn't care about the oppressed. In the Hebrew, the word is poor. Here's what it meant. He had no time, and more specifically, he had no money for anybody else's needs. None. So if you want to know if you are proud, let me ask you this. Who do you think is controls your money? I've had so many Christians tell me this. Pastor Walker, listen, you tell me that God wants 10% of my income, and I'm going to quote what I heard Pride says this, I make all this money. Shouldn't I get to decide what I want to do with it? You know when you say that? You're still in control. You're in charge. Let me give you an illustration. You come to me and you say, Pastor Walker, I've hit a rough patch in my life and I need a loan. I say, okay, how much do you need? You say, I need 10 grand. I said, 10 grand, okay, wow. All right, I'll give you the 10 grand. Here's the deal. You're going to pay me back. I'm going to, here's, the ten, here's all the 10 grand, and over the next few months, I want you to pay me back 
1,000 of it. The rest of it, you can keep it as a gift. And your response is, are you kidding me, Pastor Walker? That is incredibly unreasonable. What are you, some sort of loser? Are you like greedy or what's going on? You're going to make me pay back 1,000 out of the 10,000? Are you crazy? Of course you're not going to say that. Why? Because I'm loaning you the 10,000. I'm only making you give back what? Oh, 10%. But yet we have the audacity, the pride that says, see, I did it. I make all this money. See, it's my talents. My, you know why they pay me six figures? Look in the mirror because there's where it is. It's me. I deserve it. Give God 10%. You've got to be kidding me. See, that's where Nebuchadnezzar was. He was so full of himself, he couldn't think of anything or anybody better to give it to but himself. See, that's what God's saying to you this morning. See, where are you at? The consequences of pride, they are devastating. Devastating. But lastly, is there any hope, Pastor Walker? What about the cure for pride? Well, verse 34 says this. And it has to start here. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, listen to this, lifted my eyes to heaven. Anytime in Scripture someone lifts their eyes, especially to God, it means because they're getting a new perspective. In other words, change has taken place. And not, they're not just looking at themselves with their eyes. They're not just looking around everybody else. But they've changed their eye in their heart. They're looking to God. And here's the change. Here's what he says. I lifted my eyes. My reason turned to me. He says, now I'm going to be different. Can I tell you this? If you want to be healed of your pride, you want God's remedy for arrogance, you've got to hold two things together. And they, here they are. It can't be one or the other. It has to be both. Number one is I don't deserve anything but justice or judgment. And number two my whole life means I'm an object of God's mercy. Notice he says in verse 36, my reason returned to me, my kingdom, my majesty, my lords, my kingdom. He's got all these things. Yeah, he says, I know I have all these things. I have this power. I have this greatness. I got this money. I got this position. I know. See, all those things came back to me, but now I know I see them differently. You know how I see them? I see them as this. God gave them to me in his kindness and his mercy. See, he's not the author anymore. Verse 34 says, it's his dominion, God's dominion. It's his kingdom. See, my little kingdom is a subset of his huge, everlasting, every generation, all controlling dominion. He says, now, see, now I've got perspective. It's not big me, little God. It's big God, little me. See how he says? He's learned. Most high, most low. I get it. I'm getting it. See, I am the object of God's mercy. And then he says this at the end of the text. He says in verse 37, and I have to tell you what I've learned about God. Not only am I the object of his mercy, but all of his ways are right and just. In other words, when God knocked me off my throne and put me on the ground and I'm eating dirt and rolling around the grass like an ox, can I tell you this? He was right to do it. He was right to do it. See, I went from I deserve all this great stuff. Here's what he found out. Here's what I really deserve right here. I deserve to be an ox and less. See, every time you get caught up in pride, pride will make you less than you are because you think you are more than you are. 
every single time. And what we have to have, if we're ever going to be healed deeply of our pride, we have to say this, God, I don't deserve anything but your wrath and your judgment and your condemnation. I deserve to be an ox, and I deserve far more than that. Because everything you do is right and just. But God, here's what I know. I am an object of your mercy, and the fact that you restored me at all is of your grace, and then you added greatness to me beyond what I had before. I can't comprehend that everything I enjoy comes from your hand. Can I tell you as we close, ultimately there was a king far different than Nebuchadnezzar who was not just the king of Babylon, but this great king was the king of the universe. In fact, he made it. And he willingly, Philippians 2 says, humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And the reason he did it, Jesus became less than what he was so that you could be far more than you would ever be otherwise. And he died on a cross. See, you deserve that cross, and I deserve that cross. We deserve separation. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell. And the king of the universe, the most high God, chose to become most low when he died on the cross for your sins and mine. And he says, this is what it takes, this is what it takes to heal your arrogance and pride. So he would say to you, and the response you should have is, don't ask for the 10%, but rather this, God, here's my 100%. Take control of it all, because you, and not me, you are in control. So let me ask you, Who is really in charge of your life? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, God brought you here today for a reason. He's got a purpose in it. He wants to warn you about your pride. He wants to address it. And he might be saying this to you, Listen, you better humble yourself in your marriage or I will. You said that, you may say, I, I'm, you need to humble yourself when it comes to what you think parenting is. You better humble yourself or I will. You better humble yourself in your moral choices and the ungodly, independent lifestyle you think you could live away from me and my word. See, you better humble yourself or I will. See, he brought you here today. Another warning, but it could be that the time of warning is running out. And while the words were still in her mouth, I'm okay, as you're talking to yourself, I'm okay. And while the words were still in her mind, God acted. Oh, see, it's time to break off our sin, isn't it? It's time to let go of the pride. I know better. And say, God, help me. Help me to know humility. Help me to see that you're most high and I am not. Father, help us. We begin to think that we are so great, that we know so many things. Father, then it 
affects our relationship with you and then it begins to tear down and hurt our relationships with others because we just are so full of ourselves. And even now as I speak this morning, perhaps throughout this auditorium, there are people who are suffering the consequences of pride. But they don't know why because they've never come to the biblical realization of what the cause is. Father, I pray you'll help them today to see that you alone are in charge, that you alone are in control, that you are alone on the throne. That's true of the universe, but may also be true in their heart and lives this morning individually. Cure us through the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.